the fruit of the Holy Spirit. So Galatians 5, verses 22 and 23, but the fruit of the Spirit, but the fruit the Holy Spirit produces, this kind of fruit in our lives, love, joy, peace, patience. Number five is kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Okay? Um, so we're on this last fruit, the ninth one, okay? And the question is, what is self-control? Terry, if I can get the image on the back as well. Um, the question is, what is self-control? Webster's Dictionary defines self-control as restraint exercised over one's own impulses, emotions, or desires, right? Um, in other translations, the word that's used is temperance. It's also, words also like self-discipline or willpower can describe self-control, uh, the the Greek word actually that's used in this uh, in this verse is ekratia, which means uh, the restraining of passions. Okay, the restraining of passions. This word is only found four times in the in the Greek New Testament, and it doesn't occur in the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament. But out of all of the fruit of the Spirit, this particular fruit stands alone and stands unique in the fact that it does not have a matching quality of God. In all of the other fruits that we studied, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, these are all qualities of God. They're all rooted in God. They're all found in God. And we studied them as we were going through each one of them uh, during this series. But... Self-control is something that is not a quality of God because uh, there is nothing uh, about his desires. There's nothing about him that gets out of control, right? Everything that he does is exercised according to his will and his plan. So God doesn't have sinful tendencies or he doesn't hold, uh, hold anything in check like we would have to when it comes to self-control, so we can see God in all of the other fruits of the Spirit, but in this fruit of the Spirit, self-control, this is something that the Holy Spirit works in us to produce, works in us to develop, right, in order to take control of our sinful desires, of our passions, of our habits, of our impulses, of our emotions. The, the passions of the flesh can be an enormous hindrance to the, the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives and an enormous hindrance not only to this particular fruit of self-control, but also to all the other fruits of the Spirit, okay? The idea of controlling ourselves means that there is also something within us. It, it indicates that there's something within us that's wrong, Right, And that's one of the principal things we first have to come to acknowledge and realize. Right, When we say self-control, that means I am holding something back. I am restraining something within me that is not good. I am bridling something. I am controlling something that probably if I let unbridled would not be very good. So daily our self within us produces desires and passions, impulses and the need and that some of those things need to be denied. Some of those things need to be controlled. And we don't like hearing that. We're living in a generation and a culture and a society where whatever I feel, whatever I like, I should have the right and the ability to do that, to exercise that, to feel that and to do that. But when we talk about this fruit of the spirit of self-control, it's something that is really contrary to what we are hearing about in society today. Because by saying, I need this fruit of self-control, 
it is inferring that there is something wrong within us. That there is some passion, desire, impulse, emotion, whatever, that needs to be restrained. And Jesus commands us in Luke chapter 9, he commands us and he says, take up your cross daily and follow me. And this idea of taking up our cross and following Jesus is this idea of dying to ourself, this idea of dying to our passions, dying to our own uh, uh, will and our own plan. Paul warned Timothy as well in 2 Timothy 3, 3, that in the last days there will be people that have no self-control. Aristotle also commended this attribute or this virtue as the ability to have powerful passions, but to keep them under control. The ability to have powerful passions, but to keep them under control. There's a story, and you might have heard of it. It's a, it's a fable about a scorpion and a frog. And the scorpion and the frog, they were on, 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 on the shore on one side of the river. And uh, they wanted to... the, the uh, the scorpion wanted to cross from one side to the other. And so he talked to the frog and said, hey, frog, can you give me a lift over to the other side of the river? And then the frog looked back at the scorpion and said, no way, you're going to sting me. And the scorpion said, well, if I sting you while we're crossing over the river, then I'm going to drown as well. So why would I do that? So the frog thought, that's true. That one, he probably won't do that. So the scorpion got on the back of the frog and the frog swimming over across the river to the other side and about halfway through, the scorpion stings the frog. And as the frog is drowning there because he's being stung and can't do anything, he tells the scorpion, why did you sting me? He said, well, it's just my nature. I couldn't help it. And sometimes we are like that in areas of self-control. That there's some areas in our life that we can't hold back, right? And we just allow those passions, allow that nature, allow that desire to to be let out. And that's why this fruit of the Spirit is so important because through the help of the Holy Spirit, He can help us to constrain some of these desires and passions and natures that God does not want us to have and to take those and and bring them uh, into in, in reign. So... What are some areas that need self-control? There are, there's so many things that are listed in the Word of God, and Paul gives various lists in some of his letters about areas of uh, passions and areas of the works of the flesh that need to be restrained. We read this portion in Galatians 5, so I'm not going to read it again, but Keisha read this in the Scripture reading that talks about some of these desires of the flesh or the sinful nature. Right? This is right before Galatians 5, 19 to 21. It's right before... Paul goes on to list the, the fruit of the Spirit. So he makes it like a comparing contract. He's, contrast. He says, here, these are the works of the flesh. And then he says, here, these are the works of the Spirit. Right? And so he lists some of this. And, and it's quite a list that he gives here. In Colossians chapter uh, 3, verses 5 to 9, he also says here, this is another list, another place. So, you put, so put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy. Now is the time to get rid of anger and rage and malicious, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. You can find other lists in 1 Corinthians 5. He goes on to list a few others. In Ephesians 5, he goes on to list a few other works of the flesh. So what are some of these things? And I I just put this in in a few categories here. 
The first one, what are things that, we, that need to be restrained? One is sexuality. We are inundated in a world right now where there's so many sexual images all over the place. And uh, there's this temptation to fall out of line to what restrains God has placed in his word regarding sex and proper sexual behavior. And uh, we're living in a time, again, as I said, is that we feel like, oh, if, just because I feel that, just because my passion is there, then I should have the right to do this. But God clearly, as our creator, has given us certain bounds and restrictions. Anger and temper. This is another, another time, you know, people do things against us and we get upset and we get angry. How do we react? It's like the scorpion just stinging the frog because it's, it's his nature. And sometimes within us, there's this nature of anger and somebody says something to us and we, we react right away. This is why we need to pray and ask for the help of the Holy Spirit as we sang today. Lord, make me more like Jesus. Gluttony. We don't like to hear about that, right? Right. We have you, nowadays, you know, there's so many buffets that are taking advantage of this weakness in the flesh. Right. And uh, they're making lots of money. Right. To go to a buffet and you can eat and eat and eat whatever you want. But the word of God also talks about restraint in this area. Envy and jealousy. This will drive us to do things that are not logical sometimes. Right? And we allow these works of the flesh to go unrestrained. And when we're envious or jealous of somebody, we just let that go. And sometimes we do things that when we look back and think, why did I even do that? But it's because we were motivated by envy or jealousy. Laziness. I don't know how many people here hit the snooze button too many times this morning. Right? But sometimes we get, we get into that where we, we love sleep. Now, there's no time to look at all these verses in the book of Proverbs, but in the book of Proverbs, there's so many verses that talks about the sluggard and the, and the one who loves sleep. And then because poverty will come to you if you're lazy. And so this is something that we need to restrain as well. Greed. The Bible talks a lot about money and wealth and how we should be rich in good works. But sometimes we can be motivated by money. And this, and this work of the flesh where we're, we're just concentrated on money. We're just concentrated on getting rich. And there's this, this, this greed where we're never satisfied with what we have. Speech. The use of our tongue. That's a whole other message completely. But so many times, we can, James talks about the use of our tongue and how our tongue can be used to hurt others and to do evil towards others. And let me make this a little bit more contextual for the generation that we're living in. How about the pen of our keyboard, let me say? And sometimes even on social media or within emails, we're, we're quick to respond right away. Somebody sends us an email and we get upset and we're quick to respond to that. Or we see a, so, a, a post on Facebook or Instagram or social media and we're, we're quick to respond to something like that instead of taking time just to think of what that, what that means. How are we using our speech or our tongue? Selfish ambition. Sometimes there's within us this, this desire, I want to be better than everyone else. I want to ha- be more successful than everyone else. I want to have more money. I want to have a better car and a better house. It's sort of like the saying, keeping up with the Joneses, because Jones has this, I want this, but I want it to be even better. And there's this idea of selfish ambition where we put our needs ahead of the needs of others. Technology, this is a, this is a huge area. When we, when we think about social media, our phone, our computer, when we get up in the morning, what's the first thing we do? Is it to praise God? Is it to thank God? Is it to read his word? Or many times it's just, I'm guilty of this, to check our phone and say, okay, what emails have I gotten? What texts have I gotten? What's going on in the world? And sometimes, uh, you know, nowadays they've put even apps that tell you what your screen time is. You can see how much time you've actually spent on your, on your phone. 
We have to keep some of these things in check to have self-control in this area of technology, right? Actually, technology amplifies our temptations for sex, for money, for shopping, for wasting time, right? How many times maybe you've been maybe like on YouTube and you watch one video and then what happens? Don't look at me with strange looks. (laughs) All right, I'm guilty. I think some of you here might, you know, you see that. Oh, that's interesting. Click. Oh, that's interesting. Click. And before you know it, two hours are gone, right? And that's it. And so there's, there's this idea of we need some sort of self-control when it comes to this. Technology actually depletes us of self-control, right? It distracts us from spiritual disciplines like Bible reading and prayer. And it takes us away from those things that we should spend more time of time in. The use of media, uh, TV, movies, and everything. Again, some of these things are not inherently wrong, but what are we watching and how much time are we spending watching those things, right? And the idea of controlling our desires and our passions and our time and using that wisely. Self-indulgence or a a self-centered lifestyle, thinking of ourselves more than we think about others. The priority being us instead of the priority being the Lord and others, right? This is the mind of Christ. The mind of Christ is not to think of himself, but to think first of of others. And so sometimes we can get into this self-indulgence, pride. Again, thinking that we're better than ourselves and allowing this pride to go unchecked, unrestrained. And again, the use of time being very unproductive, maybe a lack of intentionality in using our time for good, right? Wasting time on unproductive things, and it could have been any one of these things that we've listed already. In the book of Proverbs, it says, a person without self-control is like a city with broken down walls. In the olden times, walls were used to protect a city from intruders and enemies. And in the same way, if we don't have self-control, it's like leaving an open door to bad habits. It's like leaving an open door to the enemy to come in and cause us to waste our time and to get involved with bad habits. King David is an example, is a bad example of self-control. There was a time when, when he used his power and authority to commit adultery and murder. He was out of control and the Lord had to punish him for that because he did not restrain his passions. He saw this woman and he lusted after her and he wanted her, but God had already given him a wife. God had already given him so much and instead he wanted something that he didn't have. We have that temptation as well too. How many times, if you know, especially for, for children, but I think for adults sometimes too, you see a sign that says wet paint, what's your first inclination? Is it really wet? And we don't control ourselves sometimes, right? And that's what happens when we are tempted and we're drawn away, right? Joseph in the Bible is a good example of self-control. It was, it was a time in Joseph's life, Joseph's life, he was far away from family, he was far away from his parents, he was far away from everyone that he would have to give account to, and he had the opportunity to sleep with a beautiful woman. And what did Joseph do? He ran from that situation, He exercised self-control. As a young man far away from everyone that he knew, he could have done that and no one would have been the wiser. But he exercised self-control. So here's the question. How do I grow in self-control? I just want to just share three things, I think, with you that I I hope will be beneficial as we consider self-control in our lives. The first one is to confess your failure and seek accountability. 
I, I think we, we all here can acknowledge, myself especially, that we fail in this area of self-control. There are so many times when we should exercise self-control better than, um, better than, we, sh- than, than we are. And in, in the book of James, in chapter 1, verse 14 and 15, it says, Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. We, we can't be putting the blame on others. Oh, so-and-so made me do it. So-and-so invited me out for this. Many times we, we also say, oh, I like it. It feels good. It brings some pleasure and enjoyment. Why can't I have that? The first step is to admit that we're wrong. The first step is to admit our failure. The first step is to admit I need some help. You know, the, the program Alcoholics Anonymous that helps people come out of alcoholism. The first step in their procedure is to admit I'm an alcoholic. And it's continually repeated throughout the whole process. I'm an alcoholic. It's their first step. Many times we, we try to ignore the problem or we deny the problem. Ah, it's not really a big deal. I can change whenever I want to. Everyone else is doing it, right? We can also blame our situations, our, our circumstances. We can blame our parents, our family members, our upbringing. We blame the devil a lot as well. The devil made me do it, right? Until we admit our failure, we can't get help. And I think a, a, another important thing that we really need is to be able to seek accountability, Find someone that we can walk with. Find someone that will help us to keep us in check. Someone you trust. Someone that is, that is able to pray for you, to support you. I remember when I was in, in high school, and I was, I was struggling with a lot of different things. And I remember I had a pastor, and I would share with him some of the things that was going on in my life. And he told me, he said, call me when such and such happens and, and, and to keep me accountable. And I told him, I said, I'm going to be calling you every day then. And he's like, it doesn't matter. He says, you need that accountability. You need that, the opportunity to keep this in check. And I'm so grateful for him, even till today, because this, it's the opportunity of being able to have some accountability and have some, uh, when we're struggling in various things. Again, we studied so many different areas of self-control, but uh, there are areas that we fail, there are areas that we need help, and it's great if we can first admit that, and secondly, to seek some help with accountability. Ecclesiastes 4 verse 12 says, a person standing alone can be attacked and defeated but two can stand back to back and conquer. And that's the beauty of the body of Christ. That's the beauty that God has put us into a family, a family of believers that are here to help one another. There's a young man as well, and he, he's been going through some difficult situations as well. And so he asked me to help him as well. And so uh, we're using technology in a good way through an app that helps to keep, keep him accountable. And, and, and he's able to, to write some updates and be able to say, this is what's going on in my life. And, and it helps us to keep in contact and helps, us, uh, helps him to be accountable as well for, for various things that are going on. James 5 and verse 16 says, Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. And so I want to encourage you today, if there's various areas of uh, self-control that you're seeing that you're failing in, as we, we listed some of them, and there's probably others as well, 
And if there's something there that you're saying, hey, I really struggle with this, I'm not able to, able to overcome, I want to encourage you today, take the first step of just admitting that you need help. Take the first step of admitting and saying, hey, I failed, I'm not doing well in this area. And then take the next step to say, I need somebody to be accountable to. I need a mature Christian, I need someone in my life that's able to help me in, in this journey and able to, to help me as I try to control these things within my life. The second thing I think that's important is to practice spiritual disciplines. Some time ago, we, we talked a little bit about spiritual disciplines and how these spiritual disciplines are able to enrich our lives and produce good fruit uh, in us. And I think in order to go, grow in self-control, we need to allow our spirit to be in control instead of our flesh, Right? We need to be led by the Spirit of God, not by our fleshly desires, right? So to grow in these spiritual disciplines by practicing, developing, and growing in these things. First Timothy chapter 4, verse 7 and 8 says, train yourself to be godly. It takes some training. Train yourself to be godly. Physical training is good, but training for godliness is much better. Promising benefits in this life and in the life to come. Right? So we train ourselves towards godliness. Here are a few things. We looked at some of these things before, but just as a, as a quick recap, here are a few things that might be able to help us in terms of spiritual disciplines. Number one, Bible reading. Right? When we get up in the morning, let's try to take some time instead of going to Facebook or Instagram or the news and reading up what's there. Let's take some time first to go to the word of God and let's get the word of God in our lives as a discipline. Work that into our lives to, to have a, a time of daily Bible reading. We were using the YouVersion Bible app before of how, and, and reading together. And if that helps you, maybe gra- gather a few people together that you can read the Bible together and that brings some community and, and helps you in that way. Uh, personal devotions, to be able to take time every day to spend time with the Lord, whether that's reading the Bible and prayer, but having a time of personal devotions. Study and meditation, right? This is like in-depth reading, in-depth study of God's Word. We want our, our minds and our hearts to be filled with the Word of God, to be filled with the Spirit of God. Some people enjoy journaling because it helps to concentrate their thoughts, to be able to put something down on paper and to be able to say, hey, this is where I am, this is where I'm going, this is what has happened, and it brings a little bit of clarity uh, in their mind regarding their spiritual journey. Memorization, right? Memorizing the Word of God, that helps our own regular memory, but also it keeps the Word of God in our minds. So at times when we're going through difficulties and trials, we can pray the Scriptures. We can pray the promises of God as we have them memorized in our, in our life. Prayer is such an important thing, gathering together. I just want to let you know, uh, for the last little while, we, we had a men's morning prayer at 6 a.m. Um, we're going to open that up to everyone, okay, starting not this Wednesday, but the following Wednesday. So if you're a, a woman and you are feeling, hey, how come there's only a men's morning prayer and I can't come? Well, guess what? You can come. So 6 a.m. here in the church, it's a discipline to be able to get up early in the morning. It's a sacrifice. Everything we do in the Christian life requires a little bit of sacrifice. And so 6 a.m. on Wednesday mornings, it's open for everyone. I'm going to hopefully provide an online option as well. So if you're traveling and you're going to work and you just want to call in and be part of that, we'll try to make that available soon as well. Fasting. We don't like that, right? But fasting is a discipline that puts our body in subjection to our spirit. Otherwise, most of the time, what happens is our spirit is controlling our outlook. And it's the flesh is saying, I want this, I want that, 
and then the body just goes along with it. Whereas when we have a time of fasting and prayer, we bring our body in subjection to our spirit and take a focused time of seeking the Lord. There was a man once, he, he, he had a real problem with donuts, right? Self-control was out the window with donuts. So he decided to, to tell the Lord, he told the Lord, Lord, I'm not going to eat any more donuts. I'm taking that out of my diet whatsoever, right? But one day he woke up in the morning and he had a big craving for donuts. And he told the Lord, he said, Lord, I have a really big craving for donuts. I'm going to go to the bakery. And Lord... If there's an open parking spot right in front of the bakery, then I will know that's from you, and you're saying it's okay for me to have a donut. Right? And so he drove to the bakery, and after eight laps around the block, a spot opened up, and he said, thank you, Lord. I know that you have provided this donut for me. So many times we, we, we feel like we are, where our flesh is actually controlling the situation. Silence and solitude is another spiritual discipline that helps us. In your bulletin, you'll see a little graphic there about a men's retreat and a women's retreat. And it's a time to take, take, uh, it's, it's an opportunity to, to take some time away. We have very limited space in our men's retreat. So if you're thinking about coming, sign up soon. But it's a time for, uh, for silence and solitude to take some time apart from the busyness of life and to spend time meditating on the Lord. Sacrifice, living for the Lord and others by doing the will of God. It's a spiritual discipline to, to inculcate this in our lives where we are sacrificing and living for the Lord. Fellowship, it speaks about gathering together like this on a Sunday morning. Sometimes we get so busy with other things in our schedule and we forsake uh, coming on, on Sunday morning or at other times. Maybe we don't uh, have an opportunity of gathering together as a life group. We're starting life groups uh, uh, next week, and we want to encourage each one here to join a life group and be part of this, this fellowship. It's not just coming on Sunday morning, but having a place where you can do life together with other people, living in community and helping one another, supporting one another. And so I want to encourage you to have this discipline of fellowship and part of a life group. Service. There's lots of service opportunities here, even in the church, but even outside of the church. There's so many opportunities where we can be involved in service, and it's a discipline. We get into a routine. We get into a, a way of how we are serving and helping others. Confession. Taking time. Uh, maybe it's daily. Maybe it's weekly with the Lord and examining our lives. We can have a, a prayer of examine before the Lord and saying, Lord, hey, this is the areas that I'm, I'm failing in, that I need your help. I need your grace. Submission. That's to, to be able to submit to those that are over us in the Lord, whether it's children to parents or, or parents to your employers or to a spiritual person that's, that's over you in the Lord. And I think that's always good to have that discipline so that we don't become like a stray cat that just goes wherever, this way or that way. But we are, we're living in community and we're living with people over us that, is able, that are able to correct us and tell us if we're going wrong. Now, I put this last one here, evangelism, because I think evangelism is a good spiritual discipline as well. To be disciplined to share the word of God with others. To be disciplined to be able to share the love of God with others. Now, I know you're thinking, Daniel just put that in there so you can talk about Alpha. Maybe so, but Alpha is coming up, okay? And... Uh, and I, and I just want to encourage you as well. Try to invite some people to Alpha. We'll be talking a little bit about, a little bit more about that in the weeks to come. But evangelism is a good way as well to, to inculcate this, these spiritual disciplines in our lives. First Corinthians 9 verse 25 to 27 says, All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away. But we do it for an eternal prize. 
So I run with purpose in every step. I am not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. So here Paul is saying that he, as an athlete disciplines himself, we also should discipline ourselves in order to live for the Lord. LeBron James is probably considered the greatest basketball player playing right now. And he's going into his 16th season, but he's still so healthy and so well to be able to play. Uh, he spends about a million and a half dollars every year on his body to train, to keep himself healthy, to keep himself fit. On his team, he has a Navy SEAL who's a biomechanist who helps him take care of his body. He has a recovery coach, a personal chef, a personal masseuse. He has a hyperbaric chamber in his house. He does all of these things to take care of his body so he could play at the very highest level. And if people that are athletes are doing this, he wakes up very early in the morning to work out, 5 a.m. most of the time. During the basketball season, he works out seven days a week. In, in the off-season, he works out five days a week. These, and, and so the Bible says here in, in Corinthians, if these are athletes that take so much time and effort because they want to win a physical prize, how much more should we live disciplined lives so we can win that eternal prize that is placed before us? Tom Brady is another example. He's actually, he's, he's a quarterback that plays for the New England Patriots, won the most Super Bowls in history, considered probably to be the greatest uh, 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 football player, right? Football season starting soon. And um, he's 42 years old, and to play the quarterback position at that age is unheard of. But he started to go with his dad to the gym at the age of two or three, at grade, at grade two or three. He developed his own method, uh, a health system called TB12, and he wrote a book about it on how to keep his body healthy so that he can continue to play. And so these are athletes that take these things seriously. How much more should we, as followers of the Lord, take the spiritual disciplines seriously because our spirit is eternal and we want to gain that eternal prize? The last thing is to put Christ, put on Christ and to be filled with the spirit. To put on Christ and to be filled with the Spirit. As, as we come to the end of this series, let me point out something that's really important, not just for self-control, but I think for all of the fruits that we've studied so far. And that's that for every fruit of the Spirit, the dependence and the need of the Holy Spirit working in our lives is vitally and critically important. Right? After listing off some of the evil deeds and desires in Romans, Paul says in Romans 13, rather clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. To put on Christ, to put on his nature, his character, what would Jesus do in such and such a situation? How would Jesus act? How would Jesus react? We're living in, in an age and a time when if it feels good, you should do it. I feel this way, so I should act upon it. You shouldn't deprive yourself from this feeling or from this pleasure. But that's not the way of Christ. That's not the way the Lord expects us to live. Jesus said in the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 5, it's part of the Sermon on the Mountain. We're going to be studying some of this later on. But Jesus said, if your eye causes you to sin, then what should you do? Tear it out. Sounds pretty harsh, right? I think this is, this is the... the the, the extremity of self-control. This is the depth to which we have to acknowledge how this is important, where Jesus says, if your eye causes you to sin, then cut it out. 
He's highlighting this idea of self-control, of, of controlling our passions and our emotions and, and what we are doing. So to put on Christ is to put on his nature, his attributes, his, his life of self-sacrifice, his life of self-denial, right? Philippians 2 verse 13 says, For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. It's interesting in this verse because it says God is giving us two things. Number one is the desire and number two is the power maybe you're here today and you're and and you're saying within yourself i love that thing i get pleasure from that thing i don't want to give that up i love my donuts right or whatever it might be right there's nothing sinful or inherently wrong with donuts please don't get me wrong i'm just giving you an example but what is that pleasure what is that work of the flesh what is that thing that we might be struggling and we might be saying but i love that i don't want to give it up i find pleasure i find excitement in that here the promise of god's word is that god is going to work in us and he's going to give us the desire to do what pleases him to push off those evil desires and to say that's not of the lord that's that's from the flesh and god is going to give us the desire to please him and he's going to give us the power to do what's right as well right he, does, he doesn't just leave us on our own. In Titus chapter 2, uh, three times Paul encourages Titus to teach various groups of people to exercise self-control. And then he says in verse 11 and 12, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Right? We need to yield to the Lord, yield to Christ, put on Christ, be filled with his spirit. Remember, these are the fruits of the spirit. And so we are dependent. We are in need of the Lord. I'll ask the worship team to come up. In Galatians chapter 5 and verse 16, it says, So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. We've studied over these last, uh, this, this whole summer, all these various fruits of the Spirit. And ultimately what we need is more of the Holy Spirit. Ultimately what we need is the Holy Spirit to work in our lives to produce these fruits in us. So that's why Paul says here, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. I'll close just with the story of a, of a man of God. His name is St. Augustine of Hippo. He lived from, from 354 A.D. to 430 A.D. St. Augustine's influence on Christianity and on the world cannot be underestimated. Many scholars think that after Jesus and Paul, Augustine is the most influential figure in all of Christian history. Although he's been gone now for about 1,600 years, his life and writings have influenced some of the greatest figures in Christian history. He was a philosopher, a bishop, a scholar, a theologian. He wrote probably one of his most famous work is called The Confessions. And it's, a, it's an important book to read. He also wrote books called On Christian Doctrine, On the Trinity. Wrote a book called The City of God. But he wasn't always called St. Augustine. He was wrecked by his sexual passions that tormented his soul. He had a loving mother who prayed for him, but he rebelled against her. He, he said, this is a quote, he said, I went to Carthage where I found myself in the midst of a hissing cauldron of lust. He did well in school, did well academically, but he was ruined by his fleshly passions. 
He was struggling between enjoying God and enjoying sexual lust. And in, the, in his book, Confessions, in book eight, he wrote, O Lord, my helper and my redeemer, I shall now tell and confess to the glory of your name how you released me from the fetters of lust which held me so tightly sackled and from my slavery to the things of this world. He, w- he was in a crossroads where, where he was feeling the, the desires of the flesh and he was understanding what God was trying to say. But he found joy and delight in God that helped him to push away all of those fleshly passions and push away all those things and to develop a sense of self-control through the grace of God. He found joy and delight in the Lord more than in fleshly desires and passions. And his life is an example to us of what the grace of God can do for us to produce this fruit of self-control and be like Jesus in holiness and purity. I'll read you one more quote from his book, Confessions. He said, How sweet all at once it was for me to be rid of those fruitless joys which I had once feared to lose. You drove them from me, you who are the true, the sovereign joy. You drove them from me and took their place, you who are sweeter than all pleasure, you who outshine all light. O Lord my God, my light, my wealth, and my salvation. He found joy in the Lord. And those sexual pleasures and passions just paled in comparison to the joy and delight that he found in Jesus. May the Lord help us. Let's yield to the Holy Spirit as the, as the singers come and, and as we sing this song before we come to the table of the Lord today. Let's just yield to the Lord and, and allow the Holy Spirit to work in our lives. Allow the Holy Spirit to transform us and change us today.